Hello, everyone. Welcome to the eleventh episode of our Below the Radar Conversation series. Today, we talk with Kenneth Bailey, the co-founder of the design studio for social intervention. With our host Am Johal, Kenneth discusses how social justice issues have been exacerbated during the pandemic and protests in support of racial justice and defunding the police. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, welcome uh, everyone to Below the Radar. Really excited. Uh, to have Kenny Bailey with us from the Design Studio for Social Intervention. He's joining us from Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome, Kenny. Good to be here, Em, and I miss you. I miss yeah. everybody in, um, in Vancouver. Yeah, well, we, we totally miss you too, and uh, hopefully we will have a way of bringing you uh, back here. Um, and this is a strange, disorienting time for uh, all of us. You're joining us by your cell phone video there. I'm wondering if you can just begin by introducing yourself a little bit, Kenny. Hi, everyone. I'm Kenneth Bailey. I'm one of the co-founders at Design Studio for Social Intervention. We've been around for about 15 years. I'm also teaching right now in in an MFA program at Bennington College. I'm a teaching fellow. I'm there in Bennington, Vermont. And um, a lot of the work that... um, the studio and I focus on is trying to figure out how to bring sort of what we know from um, future studies and design studies and um, socially engaged art um, into the mix around making the world a better place um, and sort of how to bring those practices to bear within um, the larger social justice sector and movements in the United States and abroad and everywhere. And um, really excited to be talking to Am. We've um, done a few projects there with um, uh, Simon Fraser University. We did uh, um, a few talks about public kitchen, which was one of our projects where we posed the question if kitchens were public, like schools or libraries, how would it make our cities and our neighborhoods um, more interesting, more convivial and more sustainable? How would it make them better? And we've also done a bunch of talks about spatial justice there, which is one of the topics we like to think a lot about. And last, um, we've done a few conversations and um, through um, SFU again around the Social Emergency Response Center, which was another one of our projects. So I'm happy to be back in conversation. Yeah, you were here at uh, the Heart of the City Festival, in fact, a few years uh, back. and, and uh, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, Kenny, is because in, in your work with the Design Studio for Social Intervention, you're thinking about futurity, you're thinking about social justice, and um, in comes along something like a pandemic. And, and certainly uh, I'm wondering um, how your thinking um, has evolved or what a moment like this when you take the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, all of the other emergencies going on, um, how, what have you been thinking about the last few months as the world has unfolded in the strange, disorienting ways it has? In a lot of ways, it's exacerbated the very things that you were working on already before, uh, but this, is, this moment's punctuated by the strains of authoritarianism, the American election as a backdrop, um, a kind of almost low-grade civil war in, 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 in some instances. It's so true. I've been thinking a lot about um, this idea that what we're in right now is a kind of semiotic 
to physical sort of civil war with, you know, um, what people are doing when they um, go up to um, cops or go up to people who are sort of representing the sort of militarized horizontal regime around sort of authoritarianism and thank the cops in front of people of color or in front of black people who they might anticipate are um, fighting for black lives. Like these kinds of scenes, I think are sort of part of this sort of protracted um, social um, civil war that we're starting to experience um, all the way out to, you know, real concrete versions of um, direct violence, like what we're seeing happening right now in Portland, I mean, all around, you know, the United States, just Portland is just the, the immediate um, set of optics that come to mind, given what you see on Twitter. Um, what we've been thinking a lot about, um, almost um, all, all also reflected in our most recent book, our only book <laughs> that we just published, Ideas, Arrangements, Effects, is this idea that social arrangements are actually being questioned right now. So people are questioning the arrangement of paying for housing um, to landlords or having to work for pay um, or having to um, buy our food. Like um, these kinds of fundamental arrangements are actually being discussed right now. So we feel like the time is right to actually create the conditions um, or, and, you know, and, and the arrangements of um, policing with the, the question and the, the, the fight um, right now for abolition. Mm -hmm. um, what we see are opportunities to actually do what we've been calling for in the book is um, to rearrange the social. Um, and that means for us to really study how current forms of social life have been structured and what those structures then produce and how might we sort of look at social life and, and forms of what we would call socialities as um, products of arrangements of social situations like school, housing, credit, debt, rent, work, and the like, and, re, and, and look at the um, presuppositions that are embedded in them. Like, you know, in order to live, we should work. And if you don't work, you don't deserve to live because work is the point of living. You know, these kinds of fundamental um, assumptions that are sort of made in the way our lives are arranged. And we feel like right now we have a, a time and a space um, and a window that might not be open for forever that we can actually start to look at and question and rethink these fundamental assumptions about the operations of our social lives. Yeah, just, you know, a, f a few months ago where, um, um, you know, uh, progressive economists were talking about uh, printing money and not borrowing money from the banks, but from central banks, all of these things that were uh, viewed as um, outside of the realm of possibility have all become possible and being enacted in the, in the matter of a, a few months. And so these moments of emergency can uh, bring about this idea of possibility, but of course, in the in the in the back rooms where people are imagining uh, stimulus funding and other things, uh, uh, we're not in those back rooms, Kenny. So there's another world being uh, imagined uh, that is uh, sort of like the 
world we had a few months ago. And so I guess one of the questions I'd have is how to scale up these conversations in such a way that they enter into the, the realm of political possibility. And, and this other question you bring up around work as well, it's also an attempt maybe or a time to reimagine what uselessness might be. And uselessness, I mean, in a, in a good way, in a good sense, in terms of time and leisure and, and a right to define life as something outside of work. Exactly. Have you heard of Aaron Manning's book, Towards the Pragmatics of the Useless? Uh, no, I have not. You should definitely check yeah. that out because that's a lot of sort of the kind of thinking that she's doing um, in that book. Um, and, I, and I think this question around bringing things to scale is exactly what we're struggling with. Like we're, you know, having a hard time, you know, literally um, building the architectures to even make these conversations available across, you know, the, the, the population of a city. Um, nevertheless, to make it uh, available across um, populations of multiple cities. Um, and I think that's one of the problems we're facing right now is, um, one, how do we build these architectures for these conversations to actually come to scale? And how do we hold them in ways that make them translatable into concrete propositions that um, uh, communities can enact while they fight for them at both the, mo um, the local, regional, and national, and often international levels? Um, it's, it's, a, it's something we're struggling with uh, ourselves, and we need all the help we can get in, in terms of finding um, likely partners like universities or cities or networks of grassroots organizations to really help us build to scale in order to actually enact the kinds of conversations we feel like we're ready for. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, now, Kenny, I know you're a really social guy because when you were visiting Vancouver, we could barely walk a block in Chinatown without you hugging two grandmothers. Uh, so I'm wondering how uh, social distancing has affected your social life, but also your social practice as, as an artist. How have you had to adjust to the times? How are you uh, finding uh, that you've had to um, alter or rearrange the way that you work and are in the world? It's been a real struggle for how we proceed in terms of our practice at the studio because so much of how we think about engaging in the world assumes an outside. It assumes um, building platforms for people to come together in open space. Um, and so we're really, um, we're kind of excited about these opportunities to sort of rethink open space um, uh, in ways that make it make more sense for the communities that we're talking about. But for us, it's been really, really hard to sort of wrap our minds around the prospects of not getting to, to work outside for a long time. We were like moving our work so far in that direction. Um, and now we're just trying to figure out how to, how to do it, how to do work in public that's, um, that still takes into account this choreography of distance of being six feet apart um, and um, and one of the other things we're excited about is that the COVID has sort of brought to bear the arrangements of body and space um, in a way that now we're able to sort of talk about um, choreographies and the processions of everyday life 
and frameworks around racism and spatial justice. So it's, it's, it's afforded us a lot of new conversations, but it's also been just very difficult for us as a team that really practices our, our practice in open space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what are some of the, the projects you're going to be taking on in the, the coming months as we head towards uh, November? Um, and I guess, uh, you know, the, 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 the present emergency will likely go on for several months at least, uh, if not longer. And, and I'm wondering how you're thinking through that and, and who you're collaborating with. We're trying to, um, again, build these conversations around rethinking life. The framework we're using right now, or the, the placeholder we're using right now to around these conversations, um, we're calling Life Lab. And in it, we're, we're, we're sort of proposing the problem that for lots, lots of us, uh, many of us in the cities that we live in, we've organized life in ways that have made it untenable. And I know you all know that very well in Vancouver. So much of the discourse around everyday life is framed around the impossibilities of living in Vancouver, um, given the market rate of housing situation. Um, and we're really interested in trying to put a larger frame around these kinds of problems to say that the problems are interrelated between work, home, credit, debt, health, food, um, things like um, public uh, life, leisure, culture, and the like, to say that now we have an opportunity to propose these ways to live together. So that's the primary um, sort of aim of work that, that we're trying to really get up and off the ground. Another thing we're doing inside of this um, project called Life Lab is um, a, a, a smaller project that um, is looking to propose new ways to conceive of work, um, saying what if jobs were organized like adventures instead of jobs being organized like jobs. Um, and in that um, sort of proposition, we're trying to um, organize a series of adventures that would be um, useful to grassroots organizing groups, social justice groups, environmental justice groups, but also um, potentially um, fun for college students, high school students, um, who may not be going completely back um, to campus life, but are looking for things to do that could um, potentially earn them things or maybe earn them money. We haven't decided on all the incentives yet. Um, So we're trying to start to create the conditions for people to engage in what we're calling sort of propositional politics, where they actually start to test and imagine alternatives, um, um, and at the same time advocate for them through the, the, through the act of enacting them, um, as well as um, uh, uh, sort of more traditional advocacy at the scale of um, cities, and often um, through cities, you know, states, and, and, and national advocacy as well. So um, maybe you all can, um, we could figure out a way to try to do some versions of Life Lab in, in Vancouver um, with you all as partners, if it's possible. Interesting. In BC here, uh, the, the lab that does blood testing is called Life Lab, so we might get sued, but we can figure out a way to get around that. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to call it that. It's, it's just a placeholder <laughs> inside the organization. 
but we, um, you know, different places might call them different things. Yeah. And, and uh, what's your read of the situation in uh, Massachusetts, uh, Kenny, where you're, you're based in, in Boston? In what sense? Uh, just in terms of uh, how uh, uh, COVID is uh, being handled uh, by the state, but also uh, Black Lives Matters uh, in, in Massachusetts, how it's playing out there on the ground. Well, um, I was before, I was in, I, a month ago, I was in LA. And the difference between sort of California um, and, well, LA and Boston has been stark. Um, uh, um, Boston, people are pretty at home. Like, I, I would say um, people are really, you know, sort of engaged in social distance. Maybe it's because it's New England. Maybe there was something about the culture here that was, it was predisposed to sort of staying in. But I think people are being pretty... Um, distant here where, you know, California is so warm and it's so, um, it was like people were, it was, I think it was much harder for people to, you know, really just stay in. Um, it's just, you know, it runs counter to public culture. So it's, it's been funny being back in, in Massachusetts where I feel like, you know, you know, people pretty much are, are at home. Um, that's, that's sort of my, my personal take. And um, in terms of, you know, questions around abolition and Black Lives Matter, you know, um, I, I, I wasn't here when a lot of this stuff happened here locally in Boston. I was, I was in California and now, you know, things are kind of quieting down um, and you see a lot more action um, like um, in other cities. But um, we are seeing, um, you know, mayors start to build um, task force to actually try to tackle um, um, racism in cities. And then we'll see what happens with, with that work. And um, what else? Yeah, I think, I think we, we're seeing moments right now of inflection that we potentially can take advantage of to try to move brand new conversations about how cities imagine the good life um, because I think so one of the presuppositions that um, people in power hold is that we all kind of want the same good life and that is one where we're maximizing our market value and we're not useless and you know we're making enough money to pay for everything and that's not the only way we can organize lives it's, it's there are a lot of um, assumptions in those ideas about what makes for a good life that then um, create arrangements that for a lot of us have very little social room for how we are or how we want to be in the world. Like we aren't all, like some of us might value our uselessness more than we value um, our marketability in a sense. But that way of being isn't sort of, there isn't room for that way of being such that one can survive in the current arrangements where one's marketability um, drives everything. And you know, you're trying to maximize your, the market itself. Um, so we, I feel like we're at an inflection point where these kinds of assumptions about the arrangements of life are really, really able to be raised. The, the question then comes back to doing it and getting those questions raised to scale such that we can actually do something concrete about them. 
Kenny, thank you so much for joining us on Below the Radar. And we're going to link to your uh, book in the uh, bio when this uh, comes out. Uh, and look forward to seeing you in Vancouver. The book is really out. Soon. The book is out. Yeah, the book is out. The name again, Kenny? Ideas, Arrangements, Effects. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us on Below the Radar. I hope it sounded good. Thank you so yeah. much for having me, Am. Thanks again to Kenneth Bailey for joining us on this episode of our Below the Radar conversation series. Below the Radar is created by SFU's Van City Office of Community Engagement and is recorded on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. As always, thank you to the team that puts this podcast together, including myself, Paige Smith, Fiorella Pinillos, Kathy Fang, and Jackie Obanga. David Steele is the composer of our theme music, and we thank you for listening. Tune in next time for a brand new episode of Below the Radar. Below the Radar.